Back on Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. You know, quick shout out for the crew too. Our man Lance, who's always making sure that we are sounding good and always digging up the clips and getting us ready with the with the audio drop-ins and everything else. So Lance, we love Lance. And then Bafo Jonesy, I was going through the list and tweeting out our guest from last week. I mean, we're talking about a who's who. I'm oh. cutting my own promo here for our show. I mean, if you're not tuned in and if you're not subscribed to Smith & Jones and you're an NBA fan, you're a Raptor fan, like last week you're alone, not. the guests are just like, you're come not. on. Yeah, you can't be a fan if you're not subscribed. You're not. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's 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 you're weaker than a tea bag in the ocean. If you're not subscribing and you don't, you're not listening. Never mind for us, but just like you said, for the guests to hear what they have to say. National people, it like no. I mean, we got. Hey, they don't know this because our if 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 you and I are the 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 quarterback and the running back and the receiver, e then 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 Lance and Boffo are the offensive and defensive line. They're the ones where the, the game is really won in the trenches, man. If 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 you if you if you weren't listening to us, hey man, we have national reporters in the US calling us to get on the show. And that happened. We won't tell you who, but that happened last week where we got a call and was like, Yeah, okay, all right, we'll talk to this person. Like <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Yes. As, yes. as my man, as my as my buddy in Indiana, Jay Graves would say, a good friend of ours that writes the, the Pacer stuff. Stop me when I'm lying. Stop me when I'm lying. <laughs> I ain't stopping you. I ain't stopping you. Not yeah. at all. Yeah. So again, make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Rate, review, share. That's a who's who on a daily basis of folks from around the NBA. And covering the Toronto Raptors. I mean, even today alone, we just finished talking to Eric Collins, television voice of the Hornets. We got Doug Smith, national NBA writer, covering the Raptors coming up later on. Brian Scalabrini, former NBA, of course, with XM Satellite Radio as well. So we're going to talk to him uh, about all things NBA. Lots to get into. Game day for the Toronto Raptors uh, as they are in Charlotte getting set for the Hornets. Three games in four nights for the Raptors who have won five in a row. And let's reset it quickly as well. The uh, last four or five days for Fred Van Vliet in the midst of helping his team win five straight, is named to the All-Star team, gets engaged, and has confirmed his slot in the three-point shootout. I love it, Jonesy. Like, you're there and be there. Take part in everything. Soak it all in. And I say this not as a negative by any means. I think Freddie's got a chance to be there for years to come. But you never know if and or when you might come back or get back. So soak it in and do it all. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be I'd be taking it all. And whether it's in Cleveland or L.A., I'm doing it all. Can't say you blame them. Get there and take advantage. Enjoy it. Have the fun. Uh, drink up the experience. It's something that's on the resume. So good for Freddie. And uh, maybe you can knock down a few threes tonight for the Raptor faithful and, and keep this thing rolling in the right direction. Well, the Raptors could certainly uh, use another victory because now with that spot locked in at the sixth seed, you got to keep it, right? You got to yeah. try and continue to keep stockpiling those wins. And, and one of those teams that's uh, you know coming on fast and furious in the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics have won five in a row, now sitting five games below, or excuse me, five games above 500. And, you know, you always talk about the loss column, Jonesy. 
They've still got two up in the loss column on the Raptors. They've got 25, the Raptors only with 23, but they've got two up in the win column as they've already hit the 30 win mark. So at some point, and it's going to happen soon with the Raptors, you know, jamming that schedule in in February to get in some of those makeup dates, the Raptors' uh, advantage, I suppose, if you want to call it that, in the standings where they've had two, three, four games in hand over some teams, that's going to find even water soon enough and knock on wood maybe i'm jinxing things and i shouldn't i'm knocking on my table here knock on wood the health and safety protocols the COVID protocols have not really been wreaking the havoc of late with anybody any team in the league the way they were certainly late november into december even into the early parts of january the last couple of weeks jones again knocking on wood again it really seems to have calmed down and does not seem to be a factor right now to the extent that Maybe you miss a guy or two for a couple of games or for a week, but I'm not sure if we're going to see with the weather turning and with hopefully vaccines doing their job and maybe the maybe things, you know, again, third time, knocking on wood, maybe things starting to kind of find some sort of normalcy. I don't know if we're going to see a whole team shut down again for an extended period and losing a bunch of games. I think we're, we're, we're looking pretty good here for February, March, April. Yeah, and and to your point, E, about the Raptors, like we said last week, five games in seven nights, jamming the schedule in three games in four nights this week, and which is why I've always been taught and I continue to look at the loss column. Sure, Boston has more wins, but they've played more games. And it's the loss column that, that is the telling story. And when you look at Toronto with 23 losses, they're three games behind. Um, sorry, I, I, I have. I need to get an updated uh, standings here because I looked. And hit like, that no, refresh button. Right. Hit the reset. Hit the reset button. When you look at uh, when you look at Toronto E, and they have twenty three losses. Uh, the people in front of them games games, you know, take 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 away the games. Uh, Philadelphia's got twenty one losses. Cleveland's got 21 losses. If you get on a roll and start putting numbers in the left column, you're going to be okay. So that, I mean, from, from top to bottom, from let's say from one to six in the east, there's three losses separating all those teams. Three games in the loss column. Four and a half in the standings, but three games in the loss column. It's tight, man. It's tight. All right. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in a completely different direction off the top here. Like I, I, this isn't even about necessarily doing research. It's just something that, that I stumbled upon, and I want to ask our next guest about this off the top because then we've got lots of time to get into a whole bunch of other things. But uh, joining us on the line right now, we always love chatting with him, NBA veteran, broadcaster, champion, Brian Scalabrini. Brian, thanks for the time today. How are you guys doing up there? I love you. I love you. It's kind of funny how the Toronto Raptors and Celtics just started winning at the exact same time. Yeah, yeah, it really is. What up, Doe Scally? What up, Doe really Scally? Do <laughs> so, Brian, I, 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 um, I, I end up um, – I, listen, I, I could bore you with the whole story, but I end up on YouTube like an hour before the show today, and I saw a post from three or four years ago. I think it was three years ago or coming up to four years ago, that was celebrating your, your birthday. And I don't want to give the number because I don't know if you care about the numbers, but it was celebrating your birthday with the top ten plays in your career. And I, I, the question has nothing to do with that. Over on the sidebar, I see 
um, I guess you did some sort of podcast with Duncan Robinson, and under that podcast there was a Duncan Robinson thing talking about the toughest guy in the NBA with a picture of Aquaman. There he was flexing, Stephen Adams. So it made me think. You've battled against a lot of dudes over the years. So whether it's current day, you viewing a dude on the sidelines as a broadcaster or going back to your playing days, just talking in generality here because I love some of these old stories. Who's the toughest guy you either played with or against and battled with on the court? You mean, when you say tough, there's a lot of different ways you can do this. Like You answer however you like, want. I mean, I'll go a lot of different ways. Physically tough. Shaquille O'Neal, like it's, you can't even describe going against a guy that it seems like he's not even human at all. Like it was like impossible. You were not a factor at all. Um, when I was young, I had to go against a guy named Corliss Williamson my rookie year, and he destroyed me. So like that was like a big challenge for me. Like because I would come off the bench for the uh, Nets, he would come off the bench for the Pistons. They'd run, you know, punch five right away to go right right at me. And uh, I didn't have any technique or anything like that, and I'd get blitz, and there was a lot of pressure on those games because our Nets team were good and uh, Pistons teams were good. Uh, Kobe's probably the most mentally tough guy. Like, he just keeps coming at you, and, like, he, his focus never wavers. Um, Ron Artest, probably the most scary guy because you never know he's going to snap. Like, there's a lot of versions of this of this story. <laughs> All right, Scally. Scally, I, I, I got one that I, I will narrow the focus more so than Eric. Uh, when asked at one point, Shaq said if there was a guy that he literally wanted to go to, if there was a fight broke out and yeah. he had to pick guys that, okay, this guy's with me because hands are going to fly. And we, he was in the arena the other night in Toronto because his son is here. It was Gary Trent Sr. And right now, I mean, I saw the guy. I'm like, man, the guy looks like he could still go 20 and 10. Like he is, he is cut. He is still, he is still buff. Like he could do it. He looks diesel. Now Shaq said, if I was going to get into and hands were flying, Gary Trent Sr. would on, be on my team. Give me a couple guys that if if it got dirty and hands were going to fly, you like, okay, I'm glad this dude's on my side. Yeah, I think uh, like so guys I played with, Kenya Martin would be one. Like, I really oh, yeah. think, like, Kenya Martin wants to fight. Like, I don't think it's – like, there's a lot of people talk about, oh, this guy's a fake tough guy and all that stuff. Like, Kenya Martin actually wants to fight people every single day. Um, I, I would I would go to war and with Kevin Garnett. I just think, like, you have, I think you have to kill him to stop him. I think his mentality is, is like that. Uh, let me think about – I think I think those two guys really stand out. Guy I see now, day in and day out, Marcus Smart. Like, I just think he's an absolute warrior. And if it ever came down to it, like, he – Marcus is so athletic. He's athletic like a like a ultimate fighter, you know, like UFC type of athletic where he's, like, can control his body. He's, he's quick and explosive like a wrestler. So I think if, if anybody in today's game – like, I don't know – I don't know a lot of other people outside the league, like, like from different teams, like, really know them. But Marcus Smart would be a guy that I would I would – like for sure go to war with in today's game. Scal, I just I want to jump back for one second too and then we can talk some current day stuff. I I love the the stuff like this though. I hope hopefully the audience does too and not just doing it for myself here. But when you talked about Shaq to this day and Jonesy, I don't know about you, but to this day when people ask me even just as a 
as a broadcaster, just having followed the game and watched the game, I often say, as as impressive as as daunting as it was, or as as, as awe-inspiring to some extent as it was to watch Yao Ming walk by at seven foot six, he was only, and I use that term extremely loosely, only like 290, 300. He didn't like. I didn't do a double take. That's maybe my biggest point, Scal. I didn't necessarily do a double take when seven foot six Yao walked by. But to this day, when seven foot one three fifty or whatever the hell he is now, Shaq walks by, I still to this day do a double take. Let alone what I was doing fifteen twenty years ago. Like it is unbelievable to see that man in person. And to your point, to even think about fathom trying to slow him down, not even stop him, slow him down on the court. I can't imagine how anybody had any luck against that. Yeah, and I mean, just think about this. Like, in your life, right, if something's coming your way and you can brace yourself, right? So a lot of us, a lot of us can absorb that first hit. Like, it's coming, you know it's coming, and you're ready for it, and you take that hit. But Shaq hits you twice. Like, he would, you would absorb the first hit, and then instantly he would go right into a second hit. And then he'd be up in the air, and you're still trying to recover from the first hit. And you have no chance at that point. Like old Lake Shack, he was kind of lumbering, and he would lean into you and lean into you. Like Prime Shack, hits you, hits you again, and you're done. There's nothing you can do. He wants to go with a hook shot. He wants to go with a drop step dunk. Whatever he decides to go with, you're, you're dead in the water. So it's, it's – I, I, don't, I don't think – Nothing in my mind thinks oh, there's no chance in my greatest day and his worst day would I ever be able to stop him one time defensively. Brian, I know, Eric, let's let's get to some of the stuff that's, that's going on currently. What is it with the Celtics? And they're the team that you see regularly that has helped pick them up uh, the last little while because they had a stretch there where they looked um, – they looked uh, – they looked rudderless, man. They were they were they were struggling, and you know people were looking at uh, you know Ime Udoka, the new coach, and what what's going on here, and they, what what do you think has led to such a turnaround recently? I mean, it's it's a combination of two things. One, and you guys know it, and you guys faced this too early on. When guys are hurt, like you can do it for a short amount of time, like guys are out. But, like, sliding guys who are role players into starting roles, it just doesn't work long-term in the NBA. Then you had some pretty tough games, some tough games on the road. You had a new coach kind of figuring things out. And the message was good. Like, I, like to win in the game in the NBA nowadays, you got to move the ball and you got to defend. And, you, and ideally, you have versatility so you can switch, not be in rotation. So the message was good, but sometimes you don't have, you know, like the bodies, like Robert Williams who missed time, Marcus Smart. Jalen Brown, all these guys, Al Horford, missed time. And then you're requiring everybody to do, like, to me, a little bit too much. And once you uh, once you try night in and night out to do too much, it, like, kind of sheds a light on how great superstar players are because, you know, those guys do it night after night. So combination of health and then a combination of schedule. Like, you can look at the Celtics games of late and whether even when we're playing Chicago – or playing Miami, like they got guys out. Like they're 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 kind of going through what we went through earlier in the season. So I think the combination of and and sometimes and you just gotta you guys know like in the NBA, it's not easy just to knock down the pins that are in front of you, no matter who they are. 
and that's what we're doing right now. We're playing Detroit and winning by 20. We're playing Orlando and winning by 30. Like, that stuff needs to happen so then your guys can get their rest. So then when you do have a big night, a big game, you know, you could stretch those guys 40 minutes and, you know, and, and uh, have a chance to win. So I think it's just a combination of those things. I do think we're playing good basketball right now, but during this time, I wouldn't circle one game and say, wow, what a signature win. Even the Phoenix game, the Phoenix Suns look awful that night, and they're usually been pretty good. You know, no DeAndre Aiden, and we just exposed them in the paint. So I, I don't know if I could circle during this stretch one signature win and you could say, wow, this is something you can build off of. They're just knocking down the pins that are in front of them. Speaking with Brian Scalabrini, Brian, do you expect the Celtics to to, to – try to be active to do anything or do you think that they kind of stick with their core and, and and try to keep going with what they're doing right now with the deadline approaching in a few days so like the most obvious choice would be dennis schroeder like the Celtics want to get under the tax and I, I know you guys know but i don't know if your listeners know like being under the tax allows you so much more financial flexibility in the off season by being a tax team you're penalizing the moves and the sign and trades and the stuff that you can do so if they trade away Schroeder for, you know, maybe a low-salary guy and, you know, like a draft pick, then they'll end up, you know, getting underneath that tax. And I think that's the main move for the Celtics is to get under the tax because the ownership is fine paying the tax if you're a championship-level team. But I don't know, even though they're playing well right now, I don't know if they look at this team as a like championship-level there are a lot, lot of rumors right now, Brian, about, and I, I'm finding this hard to believe, about Marcus Smart being moved. And I'm thinking, man, he's a guy that you, he's a guy that you would want. I mean, maybe that's just being thrown out there, and we know that a lot of deals are revisited in the summer. But maybe it's gauging the temperature for that. But, I, I mean, the guy is, as you just said, he, he he's tough, he's smart, uh, he's willing to to do whatever it is for for you to get a win. I, I, I can't understand why his name would be out there or maybe just to gauge interest for later on. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I, you know, like, I don't know how it is with you guys. Like, I, obviously, I follow the team closely, and if they were to make that decision, I'd probably, um, at the time, you know, disagree with the decision. And, it, you know, like, I just, I think he's such a winner and you heard me earlier yeah. talk about defensive versatility, and that's the name of the game. Well, if 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 you have defensive versatility, and he can guard all five, there's not a maybe he can't guard Embiid, but no one can guard Embiid. But Marcus Smart can guard every position out there. So when you have guys like that, and like I don't, I wouldn't get rid of him. And you're right, high basketball IQ. He's playing a lot more like Draymond Green, like lately going into dribble handoffs, pitch and follow screens, and stuff like that. So like. I would, personally, I would not get rid of him, but you know, like I, if they end up doing that, I, I would be, I'd be surprised. But you know, you know, I, I always will support my team and the decisions they make. But to me, it would not make any sense to me why anybody would give up on Marcus Smart. I just, I don't feel like unless they feel like they can get an All Star caliber player. But you, you got to show me an All Star caliber player coming back. Hey Brian, we've been talking about this for at least a couple of weeks now, and and. And, you know, hey, it, it, it looks good for the Raptors right now currently as the sixth seed. But, listen, they're, they're right there, um, you know, as close to jumping up to the three or four seed as they are to falling down to the nine or ten seed. That's how wild it is in the East right now. So let me ask you, whether it's Toronto, whether it's, ah, I don't know, the Nets continuing to slide, like 
if you're the Celtics, if you're the, the Hornets, who's going to end up falling out of the mix here, or is this going to be the dogfight that it is right until the last couple of days of the season and maybe right on into those play-in games? Yeah, you know what? If you would have asked me that like a week ago or two weeks ago, I would have said, um, I, I would have said Cleveland is a team that I could see falling off. But man, they just keep on winning games. Man, they just talk about <laughs> knocking down pins in front of you. Those guys just keep winning. So, you know, Brooklyn's in that mix. I think you know. I think I know how you're looking at it. I think you. Cha- I'm going to help you try to change your mind here. How about you look at not not. Um, it's like who's going to battle the hardest to stay a, a, above? You know, who's going to like tread water the longest? Is I think that's what we're going to end up seeing. Like I think the Celtics right now are treading water. You know, Toronto. Uh, I don't think Atlanta has a chance to get back into that mix. Brooklyn. You know, I think Charlotte. I'm not sure where they're at. Like I think when the when it gets a little bit tougher and these guys with more experience, like the Brooklyn, Toronto, and and the Celtics, I, I do think that those guys, you know, can keep on. Like pushing forward, keep on winning those games you're supposed to win. Charlotte had a great opportunity, and and they were losing some games that they should have won because you know maybe the moment got a little bit too big for them. But it doesn't seem like that's happening with Toronto. And I, I I'm not like comfortable saying it with the Celtics because like I said, if like people start getting healthy, like for instance, they got Brooklyn tomorrow, and you know Brooklyn's banged up right now, so it's not necessarily one of those games, but. They, like I said, during this whole time, it's an 82-game season. They don't have many signature wins at this point. So, you know, they have to kind of prove to me um, that they they can do it. But, you know, with those three teams, I know one of them is going to end up making that, that sixth seed. But I have, at this point, I think health will have everything to do with it. You guys have struggled at times when you're not healthy. The Celtics have. Now Brooklyn is struggling because they're not healthy. So I think whoever you're asking me to who can stay the healthiest, I have no idea how that works in the NBA. Hey, Brian, I, I want to look at, at uh, the West and how Memphis has really solidified and consolidated themselves as a top top three, four team. Project down the road when we get to the playoffs and, and what what happens with the Grizzlies. You just mentioned it with, with the experience in the East. I mean, they're in with some heavy hitters in the West there when you think about Phoenix, Golden State, Utah, some of these teams that have been – you know, in the playoffs and battling for a few years, uh, Denver, even Dallas. Um, where, where do you see Memphis in that mix going forward? I just see them as the third best team in the West. I, I actually think that they'll beat Utah this year. I don't. Denver's a hard one because I don't know what's going on with Murray and Porter if those guys come back. But listen, Memphis played good basketball. I know, like, like we want to pinpoint John Morant as a player, and we should. He's phenomenal, but. Like, forget John Moran for one second and just look at the way they play. They spread you and they attack yeah. and they move it. And they, and they got different guys that can step up and have 25 points. Could be Desmond Bain uh, one night. Could be Brooks another night. So, no, like, Memphis is a good team. They're, they're, they know how to play. Uh, they play fast-paced. When they don't win, it's like usually when they, when, like, when they don't make threes, so then guys don't close out as hard, so then therefore guys don't get to drive closeouts as much. Like, that's – the only time that they're losing games is when they don't knock down the three three balls. So I think in a series they're going to be tough, but I think they would beat Utah. I think they'd beat Denver. I think they'd beat the Lakers. I just think like the um, Golden State, assuming that they're healthy, would be one. And then uh, Phoenix, to me, they're just rolling along. I don't think that Memphis would beat those two teams. All right, last one for you maybe, Scal. What about the Lakers? What what is happening? Everybody asks this question. They're not a good team. Come on, they're just not good. They're just not good basketball team. Like 
we could talk about it all you want. Like, we could talk about LeBron James and all the superstars that they have on their team. They're just not good. You watch basketball. You guys watch a lot of basketball. And I, I don't, it's like, to me, they don't move it. They don't play fast. They don't attack. They don't move. They don't uh, drive, kick, drive, kick, drive, kick. And you're shaking your head and saying, like, that's, this, that's absolutely amazing how they're able to get this type of offense. Everything they do is hard besides LeBron. And LeBron, like, can only do so much at, at, at his age. At 37, I don't think he can win at you a series. So I'm, I'm curious how if the Lakers can even get into the top eight with their like winning a, a playing game or having to win two playing games. Scout, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to uh, hooking up with you at some point down the road. Sounds good. See you guys. There is All right, Scout. Brian Scalabrini. I always love chatting with him. Celtics broadcaster, XM radio, former NBA player, NBA champ as well. And uh, always appreciate his time, his insight. Uh, the Celtics definitely, definitely rolling right now. Uh, five wins in a row for the Celtics, same as the Toronto Raptors. And stuck in the middle of the Raptors and Celtics, the Brooklyn Nets, man, eight losses in a row. I don't know how that happens to a oh. team with that amount of talent. I don't care Kyrie in and out, this, that. They got talent on that team. KD and Patty Mills and James Harden. And, I mean, young dudes, hungry guys. Steve Nash, shout out, by the way, happy birthday. Like, how do you win, or excuse me, how do you lose eight games in a row with that type of talent? I just, it, it, it boggles my mind. It, it happens, E, uh, and I never forget uh, Dwayne Casey telling the story about um, the Dallas Mavericks the year that they won the championship at one point in the season, lost six in a row. So it, it happens. I, I watched them yesterday against Denver, and it just—it's it, not happening right now. It, it's it, people injured. Uh, Kyrie's logging a lot of minutes because they can use him on the road, but they have—they have—they've uh, gone over on, on that West Coast trip, and they are—they are struggling right now. So. Look, the good thing is for them, it's the middle of the season, and eventually they're going to get maybe the best player on the planet back, Kevin Garnett, so or Kevin Ke, uh, Kevin Durant. So uh, all they have to do is, as, as Scal said, they they got to tread water for a while. They really, really do. But man, that's the league. Just coaches say it: never underestimate how close you are to being good when you're bad, and how close you are to being bad when you think you're really good. Tell you what, Jones, they could use Kevin Garnett right now too. <laughs> does, does yeah, they could, and Paul and Paul Pierce probably too, right? <laughs> Bring them all back. Bring them all back. You know, like just put together the the super friends, the super team again. Um, all right, more on Smith and Jones in a moment when we shift our attention back to the Toronto Raptors. Not only tonight's tilt against the Hornets, but three games in four nights, plus the deadline coming on Thursday. Will the Raptors be active? Is there a suitor out there for... Uh, I, listen, I, well, you know what? I'm going to save it. I'll call it a tease. My thoughts, and if you have any as well, Jonesy, on Goran Dragic. When we continue on Smith & Joe. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and English. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
back on Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Subscribe to the podcast, Smith and Jones, wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. Just quickly before we uh, shift our attention back over to the Toronto Raptors, getting set for the Charlotte Hornets tonight. Shout out to Team Canada uh, in Beijing. Canada, second in total medals. One gold, one silver, four bronze, second only to Russia in terms of the total medals. Uh, again, with six total over the uh, first weekend of the Olympic Games. We'll have more on the Olympics, of course, throughout this week on Smith & Jones. Um, Jonesy, I said I had my – it's not a hot take by any means, but I, this will lead into our conversation with our next guest, Doug Smith, the Toronto Star. I, I'm at the point – listen, I know they're only doing their jobs. I know he is technically still a part of the team, but I have begun um, or I've become increasingly more and more like – I don't know about – frustrated, annoyed, or just sort of like, like just, oh, come on, let's just get it over with. Seeing constantly on the injury report, like, not with team, Goran Dragic. Like, like, come on, the dude's not even part of the team. I know he's on the payroll, but he's not part of the team. And I got to give a shout-out to our colleague, Blake Murphy. I don't know how long Blake's been doing this, and I didn't scroll through his timeline to, to see if there have been multiple. But yesterday, I saw Blake tweet out, in reference to the Raptors 905 game and the upcoming road trip for the uh, for the Raptors as well, that Goran Dragic was out or remains out, and he put in brackets uh, due to CTS from refreshing Woj and Shams on Twitter, <laughs> clearly making a joke about him just waiting to get out of town. And as again, we bring into the conversation Doug Smith from the Toronto Star. Doug, it, I mean, I have to assume I don't know what the deal is. I don't know where he's going. But there's got to be some sort of deal out there for Dragic in the next three days, right? Oh, I think so. I think there's probably a variety of deals that they're kind of offers and talks that they're weighing through. But, yeah, I, I, I talked to some sources and some people the last 10 days or so, and there's all kinds of stuff out there that's going to be possibilities. And I fully expect they'll get something done. Now, having uh, uh, Indiana make the deal yesterday for Levert takes one suitor out of the, out of the mix. Having Portland dealing Powell and Covington might take another possible suitor out of the mix. So, as I wrote this morning, stuff going on around the Raptors might have an impact on what they can do this week. Doug, what do you think they'd be happy with in terms of getting something for Dragic? And I look at this team the way it is now, and we saw them run the table last week, five games and seven nights. They could, you know, a little bit tougher, but they could, they might be a little more tired, but they could. Very well do that this week with, with after, if they get past Charlotte. They've got 14 and 15 in the West, albeit back-to-back. You don't really want to tear this team up now because the guys are they're healthy. They're playing well together. I, I saw what you wrote today about kind of we're still a long way from the playoffs, but you have that in your head. Uh, you don't want to tear this up, but what do you think they'd be happy with if, if in getting something for Goran? Oh, a guy who could be the seventh, eighth guy in the rotation a shooter off the bench, maybe another big guy who can rebound a little bit, maybe a ball-handling creator in a backcourt. But, you know, they have, like, three needs, but they're not going to disrupt their top six or so. It's just not going to happen. They love the fact – they love the five starters. They're enamored of uh, Chua. They like Birch. Now, Boucher's contract's up the end of the year, so we don't know about his long-term future. But they like where they are. Like, the core group is not going anywhere because that's – this, this season was always about building for the next one or the next two. I think they've accelerated it by the way they played when they've all been together. So you're looking at adding a guy or a couple of guys who could be your 
seventh, eighth, ninth guys, injury uh, insurance kind of thing, veterans who can handle that kind of role. But as for doing something that will land them a starter, I, I think they're quite happy with the with, with the starting group they got right now. Hey, Smitty, you, you just mentioned liking Achua and Birch, and I don't disagree with that either. Um, but to that sense, then, would you buy into the idea of them uh, needing or even wanting another big? Like, if if they like their five and they like kind of being a little bit undersized and having that flexibility of a Pascal or even a Scotty Barnes playing at the four or the five and then going to more, quote-unquote, traditional bigs in, in a Birch or even in a Chua off the bench, with Boucher still in the mix, do you think they need another big or that, quote-unquote, traditional center or... Are they good with what they got? Oh, I think they, there's always room for improvement. And, and you know, we all love Ken Birch, but he can't stay on the court. You got to be you got to be able to trust he's going to be able to play 40 games in a row, mm-hmm. and that hasn't happened. So you know, it's a hard business, but you're always looking to improve. And Achua has been pretty good most nights, but there's certainly room for improvement in that level. So I, I know I know it sounds I know the fans here are falling in love with this group, but there are ways to make this group better. And to get better players. And if they got to do it, and it costs them Birch Achua in a year or Boucher at the end of this season, well, I think people will realize it's probably done for the best. Doug, what about the rest of the teams around Toronto? Uh, I mean, I look at the way Toronto's rocketed up the standings, but we were talking Brooklyn's eventually going to get Durant back, uh, Boston's starting to put it together. You know, do you, how, many, how many moves do you anticipate with the East being the way it is? Teams making moves to say, look, hey, man, we got to get ahead of Team X or Team Y, or if we don't do something, we're going to be left behind. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to get left behind. I think there's going to be like seven teams with like 50 to 45 wins, and it's going to be a mess the last week of who's going to play who in the playoffs, who's going to be in the play-in, who's going to be in the top six. I don't see even, you know, even Miami, Chicago, Milwaukee, I don't see them separating at all. So I, I think teams will take care of their own needs rather than be at all concerned about what's going on around them because what's going on around them is absolute chaos. And everybody is so tightly balanced, you got to look to improve your group rather than react to what other guys might do or improve your group with a specific target in mind. Like you can't say, we got to go out of seven-footer because you might have to play Embiid. But because there's going to be a whole kind of mess before you even get that chance. So you got to do what you got to do for your own group. You know, to that point, Doug, and we're talking to Doug Smith from the Toronto Star, you mentioned it off the top, um, the move that was made over the course of the weekend with Cleveland. Uh, listen, I, you know, not necessarily earth-shattering, but I think Karis LeVert is a solid player, and considering Rubio, Rubio excuse me, was already out, I know you gave up some picks in the deal, but I think that was a fantastic move for Cleveland. They've been the surprise team clearly this year, arguably more of a surprise than any other team in either conference. They don't look like they're slowing down, and all of a sudden they gear up and get better with a move like that. It's impressive to see a trade like that with the core they already have and, and think about what the Cavs might be trying to do and recognizing this moment in time saying, hey, we're, we're winning and we're going to try to keep winning and stay on this path and, and maybe fast track where we thought we would have been at this point now, let alone even next year. Oh, yeah, they accelerated their process this year for sure. I mean, you know, losing Sexton has them set them back a bit because Garland has emerged. But, I, you know, the thing about I love the Cavs. I think they're young, exciting, they're good. But they got nobody who's ever won in the playoffs. And when the playoffs come, you need those guys who've been there and won. 
and they don't have any of them. They're a great story right now. I need to see what they're going to do in a, in a best of seven series when you're playing against a team that might have guys who've been there before and know how the game is played in the playoffs, coaches who can game plan with the day to prepare. I think it's a entirely different animal, the postseason. And experience is huge. That's why I think it's absolutely vital that this Raptor group get in there. Last year didn't yeah. matter because last year, last year group was never going to be together for long term anyway. So you gave it, you know, punted on last season. It's fine. This season you can't punt. You got to get these guys in those games so that they can be better in the next year or two. Doug and I agree. And and there's a couple teams. And and Eric and I have talked about it. We don't think Cleveland is going to. I don't think Cleveland is going to slip. They're going to be in the mix. But the experience is going to hit them at the end. There's another team though that I want to ask you about, and where you see their experience. Because they've got guys that have been in the playoffs, but not necessarily won. And I'm looking at the Chicago Bulls. As well as they have, have been playing in the regular season, I think DeMar should absolutely, unequivocally be getting votes for MVP. But at the same time, they've got some guys that are important to them that have never, that have never seen that part of the tunnel. And the experience yeah. isn't there. Look at Chicago going forward for me and project down the line. I think they're, I, I would put them certainly ahead of Cleveland in that regard, in the experience regard and what it's going to mean to be in the playoffs because Billy Donovan is coached to finals. He has, he's a pretty good guy in that circumstance. I think Vucevic has some playoff abilities that, that, that you need, that toughness, that, that kind of extra shooter on the court. I don't know about Ball or Levine. Uh, Caruso's been through it. So I think they're, they're certainly, in my, in my opinion, further along in the learning process than Cleveland is, I think they're a dangerous out because we know DeMar can get you 40 any night. You never know. You don't know what he's going to do or how, but he can do it. And he's done in the, he's, he's had playoff success. He's been through a lot of playoff games. Uh, I, I like Chicago. I don't, I'm not sure I put them quite yet with, I still think Milwaukee with their experience and their championship pedigree are the team to beat in the East. I don't know about Brooklyn, even with Durant. I don't know about Miami. I don't know about Toronto. I certainly don't know about Boston. But I think Chicago is, is intriguing because they have bits that have been there. Speaking with Doug Smith of the Toronto Star, Smitty, I want to turn our attention back to Toronto for a second. Um, I guess we're assuming nothing changes. Uh, oh, no. In fact, something's got to change. No, well, this is what I'm getting too hard. to. We're working too this hard. Is, this is what I'm getting to. Unless something changes, and I'm not even talking about three days from now. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's two weeks today. If I'm doing the math right, and that's always dangerous when I'm doing math, it's two weeks today that the next uh, whatever, the next change, the next bar, the next whatever step and stage in the reopening, whatever we're going, going to get to. And I believe scotiabank arena will be allowed to get back to 50 percent two weeks today then it's another few weeks after that on march 10th or 11th 12th somewhere around there where it's allegedly supposed to get back to 100 percent smitty there's right. no way to know this for sure i'm just asking for your gut what has been the difference like what how is it that this team kind of struggled or it was trying to find its way with fans and the home record wasn't anywhere near what we thought it would be and what it normally has been and what this team has been in their home building for years. And all of a sudden the fans go away. 
Well, you'd think they would struggle. The Raptors have been unbelievable on their home court with nobody in the building, with no atmosphere. They've turned their home record around. They've turned their season around. Do you see an adjustment in a negative sense when fans actually return, or is that just kind of, you know, that's that's out the window now. This team is good no matter what. Oh, I, I think this team is good no matter what, but I think they're, they're going to get a boost when there's people back in it. Because yeah. in one game that I'm going to uh, reference uh, very specifically, the Portland game, when they got down by 30 and ended up losing by nine, if there's 19,000 people in a building, they don't get down by 30. Right. And maybe they win that one. That kind of that kind of boost that sort of carries you through. Now, if you get down by 20, maybe you don't win. But I don't think they ever would have got down by 30 playing in front of 19,000 fans. So I think yeah. they get a. I think they get a bit of a boost when uh, when the people get back in. If the people get back in, and if you want me to try to figure out our provincial government, we got to have a long conversation, way off the record. Uh, Doug, no, I agree with you, and and I see I see some of those games like that Portland game. It was a game come back from a long trip. Uh, you know, you're it's almost like that first game back is like the last trip, the last game of of the road trip. Fans are excited to see you though, and you, you get a little you get a little juice, you get a little boost yeah. from the fans. And then I would say the other thing, I know they got down thirty, but the way they were coming back, that place is shaking. And that impacts the other team and the other coaches' decisions as well. And I just, I just think there are times yeah. when uh, I, th- I thought Toronto's done a great job considering they're playing with no fans. And I agree. I think they're going to get a boost. Um, and I, I, I just hope that – and I don't see anybody like this with Toronto. I just hope guys maintain their personalities when the fans come back and they don't try to – kind of play outside of themselves and, and take them out of what they're doing really well right now. <laughs> yeah, we've all seen a couple of Raptors in the past to play to the crowd a little bit to the detriment of the team, but I don't yep. think this group has, I'm not sure this group has a guy like that. I think this group is it's got its head on it's got its collective head together. And it's gonna be interesting to see when they get into, you know, late March and early April when the when the playoff race is truly on how they handle it. I think they're going to handle it pretty well, but I don't know. Who knows? You know, this is such a crazy year. You don't know. Like every night something goes, something happens in the NBA where you go, holy crap, how'd that happen? So it hasn't happened a lot to the Raptors, but I'm sure it will again. Okay, here's here's my holy crap what just happened that happened over the weekend. It ties into the Raptors, Smitty, but it goes back to where we were discussing a few minutes ago about trades and trade deadline and everything else. About a year ago, Norm Powell is dealt from Toronto to Portland for Gary Trent. Both guys sign extensions with their new clubs, new deals with their new clubs in the offseason. And here we are basically a year later. And Norm Powell, with Robert Covington, traded from Portland to L.A. The Clippers, at least by my glance, look like they get fleeced in the deal. Norm goes off for 28 points in his Clipper debut. Can you explain to me what the Blazers are doing, were doing, hope to be doing, because it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to give up Trent and Powell and to walk away with what they now have. No, I mean, it makes no sense, but they also got a new general manager. This move on the weekend did get them below the tax, so it saves them a significant amount of money in that regard. They'll move or wave Bledsoe at some point. Um, I don't know what, they'll, what they're going to do. They still have the bizarre Lillard, McCollum, Simons uh, thing to deal with. And, you know, that I'm not sure how that's going to work. Nurkic is going to be a free agent. I think Portland is an absolute mess. 
and it's been a mess for, you know, not just this year. It's been a mess for a while. It's always kind of been, well, they underachieved this year. Then they overachieved for a little bit, but they always fail in the playoffs. They got to a conference final one time, but then never built on that. Portland's a weird one, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what goes on there. I'm not sure how you fix it because you're stuck with that right now. You're stuck with Lillard, McCollum, Simons, who are all pretty much the same kind of guy. And you got to pick. I think you only play two of them. It's going to be. I don't know what they're going to do, uh, but they got a new general manager. It's a mess in other aspects of the organization. So that's that's the one I think where other teams they're looking to pick that carcass clean. Smitty, Smitty, last one for oh, me. Go ahead, Jonesy. Sorry, sorry. He last one for me is we were we were talking about how uh, speaking about a mess in the NBA, and we Eric and I have asked everybody who's been on our show, and will continue to ask everybody who's on the show your take on the Lakers. It's kind of it's kind of amusing to see them where they are, and and you know Justin Termini said to us last week, could you imagine if the Lakers had to do like the Raptors and play? a year somewhere else, like basically 72 road games. But just your take on the Lakers and what's going on with them. Uh, I, uh, I thought it was broken from the start because I thought they went too far on the gifty old guys who like LeBron eight and end of things. And I'm not surprised it's gone a little bit south. I, I think, I, again, that's one I don't know how you fix it. They got no picks. They really don't have any young players. I know everybody talks about Taylor Horton Tucker and, a bunch of, man, they're just guys. So I'm not sure how you, I don't know how you fix the Lakers, but I think the NBA loves Laker drama because they like Carmelo drama. I think they like a little bit of LeBron drama. I don't know what this going on with Anthony Davis, who's great sometimes and never great other times. But I think the league relishes in Laker drama and Nick drama. And the Knicks are going towards drama and the Lakers are there now. So, that's okay with me because those are great stories. <laughs> Always something to write about then, Smitty. Listen, we appreciate the time. I love it. I'm, I'm sure we'll be uh, talking to you soon. And, well, I guess we'll, we'll see you down at the gym in, in, in a week. But either way, a busy week for the Raptors. Uh, all the best, Smitty. Yeah, we'll talk to you dudes later on. Take care of yourselves. There is okay, Doug. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star. Raptors and Hornets tonight, 7 o'clock the tip. A little double dip of Smith and Jones as we are back uh, with the call of the game this evening, three games in four nights for the Raptors, and then uh, heck, four games in six nights with the off night on uh, on Friday before coming back home to host the Denver Nuggets on Saturday night. And again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, because there's three games before you haven't even got to deal with that Nuggets game. But Jones, I just retweeted this in our last commercial break: Jokic uh, playing in career game number 500 yesterday, and this was again before the game. Going into the game, over 9,500 points, over 5,000 rebounds, and over 3,000 assists. The first player in NBA history to record 9,000 points, 5,000 rebounds, and 3,000 assists in their first 500 games. First player in history. And oh yeah, by the way, they're locked in a playoff spot right now without Jamal Murray and all the other players and the injuries they've had this year. Like, the dude is unbelievable. Yeah, he, he, he really is. And... He's, he's benefited from uh, this era of basketball. He has. I mean, you know, had, had it been open and more freewheeling in the past, I'm sure we would have seen this from another player. But 
good for him for taking advantage of it. It's like, it's like my argument in football all the time, right? If they'd have, if they'd have opened up the rules earlier, what the possibilities might have been for some other players in years past. That being said, good for him for walking through the door and taking advantage. And uh, well, we look forward to seeing him Saturday. But first, let's see if the Raptors can uh, make it six tonight. Again, make it six at seven. Hey, we got a little catchphrase for tonight. Seven o'clock as the Raptors go for six straight. We've got the call for you right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please rate and review as well. We will talk to you on Tuesday. Have a good one, folks.